the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Every morning is a new opportunity to take in the news of the day and the challenges of life and try to make sense of it all. Right now, we've got a show that tackles the topics and asks what you think. So get ready to start your day with a bold look at history as it happens. Let's learn, live, and sometimes laugh together. It's the Mark Davis Show on 660 AM, The Answer. And a good morning, everybody, on this final hour together of the day. And that means of the week before we hand things over to our buddy, Mike Gallagher, and uh, talk to, to him about various things going on in the news. We've got a crazy week of news, just an amazing, amazing <laughs> parade of stuff before our, before our eyes. Yesterday, I, I gave you in the 9 o'clock hour the first portion of of our interview, I was able to have this conversation right after the show on Tuesday with the amazing, the indefatigable Gene Krantz, uh, the crew-cutted, uh, easily recognizable figure, the Korean War veteran flew missions in that conflict. And then with his interest in aeronautics carrying forward, he found himself as flight director for missions leading up to our missions to the moon, and then including so many of our missions to the moon, including the first one, the last one, and in between, the one that nearly ended in the death of three astronauts, the successful return of the Apollo 13 crew, is in its way as amazing as putting our feet on the our feet on the lunar surface uh, successfully in Apollo 11. So when we, I think I'm, I'm gonna uh, well, first thing before we do any of this, uh, the, so things to celebrate that Americans like Gene Kranz are still around to remind us of a sense of purpose in America. Other things to feel good about? <laughs> it's Friday. <laughs> I feel good. 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 I told you all three of our hours would start with albums released 50 years ago this week. Deep Purple's Burn, Stilly Dan's Pretzel Logic. And the very first Kiss album. Holy cow. I remember when I brought this one home. My dad took a look at this and said, What the hell is that? I said, well, Dad, that is Paul Stanley, Gene Simmons, Ace Frehley, and Peter Chris. And this, of course, is Strutter. Goodness gracious me! Let's. <laughs> this, oh, this is. This was five years after we landed on the moon. 
five years after we landed on the moon. Oh, my gosh. I am actually going to back up about a minute here rather than pick up, because what I want you to do is hear a little bit of Gene Krantz from where we left off yesterday, and that is we had landed on the moon, and we had to do something that was called go or no, stay or no stay, excuse me, because usually it's go or no go, like a launch or a burn of some type. This was stay or no stay. They had just landed on the moon. And rather than just have a, whew, that was great, and you see everybody just kind of decompressed. No, 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 no. It got very, very busy. In fact, moments after the moon landing, you can hear Neil say, listen, we're going to be going to be a little busy for a little bit because they had to determine were they sinking into the lunar surface? Had there been damage from the the, the dust and rocks kicked up by the descent engine, by the, by the touchdown on the lunar surface? Was there, I mean, they had to figure out, you know, could they safely stay? And that that took a, took a little bit of time. So I want to back up and, and let him cover a little bit of that right after that, because then we're going to get to something I wanted to ask Gene Krantz about. What was it like in Mission Control when Buzz Aldrin took communion? The crew was going to do an EVA, but we wanted to give them the opportunity to sleep if they needed it. So it wound up being because, you know, in central time, uh, the landing was like three something and Neil's first footprints were at almost uh, 10 would that was that an accelerated schedule? Was the original plan where Neil would have been setting foot on the moon, you know, like at two, three o'clock in the morning? Well, actually, the original thing that was to a great extent undecided because the flight surgeons and the medical community really wanted to have a very fresh, fresh astronaut. Uh, take that first step on the moon. And we knew as uh, flight test people, we had worked in things, the exhilaration of just accomplishing the first step of the mission and getting ready to do the rest was going to keep them all pumped up. Of so course. Yeah, nobody's going to sleep. And that's, it took, there was a lot of milling around, but the crew had to suit up. You check out the systems, make sure everything's right, and then go out and do the surface EVA. So before we get onto the surface, there is something that happened. I wanna, I've got a little bit of audio. I want to play it and then ask you what your thoughts are, particularly because it's you. Here's Buzz Aldrin. Roger, this is the Lem Pilot. I'd like to take this opportunity to ask every person listening in, whoever, wherever they may be, to pause for a moment and contemplate the events of the past few hours and to give thanks in his or her own way. Over. That is Buzz Aldrin preparing to take communion on the moon. Did you know this was going to happen? No, I did not. Uh, a lot of times they have, uh, we always had a series of optional sequences where the crew was given essentially a private opportunity to express uh, their mind, their feelings right on down the line. And uh, that was just one of them. No, that I did not know that was going to happen. In fact, I was so darn busy <laughs> that I didn't even sweat that out. I was trying to figure out whether it was safe to stay in the room. You kind of had a job to do. I know that if the reading of, of Scripture from Apollo 8 would have touched you, I know that as a, as a loyal and, and, uh, and, and noble Catholic, that this, this had to mean something particularly uh, to you at the time and thereafter. Well, basically, uh, as flight director, I, as a, 
Actually, aviator, fighter pilot, flight test engineer, et cetera. I said, boy, I need every bit of help I can find. Mm -hmm. So I worked on it uh, from a standpoint of my religion, my faith. I also worked on it with my team, and I also worked on it with my family life. So it's basically the challenges we faced, I won't say were unimaginable, but they were basically against very long odds. We were working with the system extremely complex and an extremely difficult environment and the price of failure was somebody dies well and uh throughout my entire life i flew over a hundred missions in uh, mission control during my career there and in 34 year time frame and there wasn't once my first boston flight test uh, taught me a lesson that says treat every mission as if it was the first. And that means you need the same intensity, the same perfection. Every way, everything you're doing and looking at that mission has to be done perfectly. So we succeeded with 11. Uh, Pete Conrad and Fort Worth's own Alan Bean walked on the moon on Apollo 12. And then odd number, uh, here you go. It's 13, lucky 13. It's April 13th. It's 13, 13 on the military clock. Uh, the, the the explosion that nearly killed these guys. Do you subscribe to the theory that says that bringing Apollo 13 back safely is in its way as remarkable as getting to the moon successfully? I think yes. And I will say this. It really was an opportunity to address the risks of the mission and the total preparation that goes into every mission. It's uh, one statistic. Uh, I was the division chief up there, and I grew up in the ranks of uh, uh, flight test. And we always have a series of what are we going to do if something happens? Well, they're called mission rules. And the mission rules for every mission really address almost one-third of the total workload of the total team in preparation for that mission. So you're talking about several hundred people working six and seven days a week, and roughly one-third of that time is devoted addressing the question of what do we do if they're called. And that was the biggest if uh, that nobody ever thought would happen, a spacecraft blowing up on the way to the moon. Let's take our pause, come back. Gene Kranz tells us the rest of the Apollo 13 story. And that's, of course, actor Ed Harris playing him in the white vest in the wonderful, wonderful Ron Howard film. And, uh, and we'll continue with our chat with Gene Kranz next. Taylor is 63 on the guitar for Duran Duran, but then the power station with Michael DeBar and Robert Palmer, Andy Taylor, 63. Those Duran Duran boys, uh, they were, they were babies, just babies. All right, uh, let's go to a guy who still has the the energy of his youth and uh, certainly helped escort me through mine and my great space memories, and that's the great Gene Kranz. So we were about to begin the open, open the chapter of Apollo thirteen, where with every mission you 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 plan you you plan for the worst and hope for the best. So here's Gene talking about that and how that wound up being put to use in the spring of nineteen seventy as we nearly lost three Apollo astronauts on the way to the moon. Mission rules, and if I want to say, 
that that is uh, one of the key elements for our success. We're prepared for virtually every eventuality. The second thing is we have a training team that tests our readiness to make sure we are truly prepared for every eventuality. And uh, that is where I think the payoff came, comes. When I, when I wrote the book, uh, Tough and Competent, I really addressed the interest and the challenges we faced and the way that we prepared to manage the risk. When the Apollo 13 command module came out of the blackout and you finally saw those parachutes deployed and Jim Lovell and Fred Hayes and Jack Swigert were going to land and going to be safe, what was that like for you and the other guys in the room? Uh, you know, Ed Harris played me in the, uh, in the movie. Oh, yes. And uh, if you look at the documentary, there was a documentary done by PBS and TVSI in Japan called To the Edge and Back. Mm -hmm. That was two days of interviews, solid interviews, very professionally prepared. So that by the time that I finished that final words in the interview, I had lived that mission so intensely that when they said, well, what, what do you think? I says, when you're celebrating, I says, oh, shit, it was great. And I, they took all the oh, shit, and they left it in the uh, video that they showed. As will I. And this was the moment where I was recording this with Gene the other day. I thought, do I let Gene Krantz fly with a complete S-bomb on the radio? And the answer was, Sort of. So we, we, we do a little, little editing for the purists, but uh, you get the idea. <laughs> On that. And so it was, it was really the kind of thing. And Ed Harris wrote a note because I then sat down and started to cry. And it was that kind of intensity that I think carried me and I think carried virtually every controller through every mission. We had to live with that risk until the crew was on board the aircraft carrier. The great Gene Krantz. There are there are two more odd-numbered missions. If you got a couple of minutes, you okay on time? Sure. Okay. Apollo, Apollo 14, the great Alan Shepard, uh, and Edgar Mitchell, and Stu Rusa in Apollo 14. And then it's 15, time for the lunar roving vehicle, the moon buggy. Uh, Dave Scott and Jim Irwin walked on the moon, and Al Warden uh, orbited above uh, the, the the lunar roving vehicle. Uh, was every what, why didn't we do that earlier? Because that's a lot of territory to cover. It was just a matter of time. Just got to do these things gradually. Well, I think the rover was uh, to me the fact that the rover even existed. Uh -huh. Because if you take a look at that uh, device that you've got there. It has to be folded up and packed in the side of the lunar module. Yep. And it used the most rinky-dink deployment system. You pull a lanyard, and the thing opens the door and flops out and, and falls towards the surface. <laughs> and uh, it was the kind of thing you say, you know, they got, we had incredible engineers who designed these, these systems that we used. And there's a lot of times you sit down and say, I, I couldn't do it. Somebody else did it, and they did it right. Uh, I go back in my book, and I talk about the, uh, the uh, loss of the uh, solar array and the uh, thermal protection system in the Skylab. 
And that started off, the fix for that started off with four very long fiberglass fishing poles and four rat trap springs. It's just high tech is not always so high, is it? Our conversation with Gene Kranz. Let's do our bottom of the hour news. And then I, I just, just don't get out of the car. I, I just uh, obviously podcast. They're always there. But if you're just listening in real time right now, don't get out of the car. Because we're going to cover the rest of, of a couple of missions in Gene's career. And then I thought, who better to ask about why we go uh, with this man with a front row, a seat at the front row of history, because you, know, you know how much I want to go to Mars. Oh, we got problems on Earth. I know we got problems on Earth. And they take money. I know they take money. And you know, all these planets seem relatively dead. I know they do. So but so why go? What what is it? And his answer is is so sublime and beautiful and great. Uh, it's just so and 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 it's all coming. And it's all coming in our uh, in our next segment. Mark Davis, thanks for being here with us today. Much more to come. 931. Nikki Whaley is in the newsroom. Great James Ingram here on the Quiet Storm. <laughs> he would have been 72 today. 100 ways. Passed away back in 19. All right. When we last left Gene Kranz, so this here here comes the 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 good home stretch of this conversation. I've I've rarely been prouder to bring bring anything to you this is uh, we're we're at the point we're in the late apollo missions and then we see the program come to an end to jeans uh, chagrin and mine because I'm 14 15 all dorked out on this I was like what why aren't we going on the moon anymore what's what's that about because there was something wondrous about it there was a childlike wonder that wrapped around my entire consumption of it and a childlike wonder that lasts to this day but just because it's childlike doesn't mean that it's childish as a man as a as a functioning 66 year old in America knowing that there's a lot of things we can spend money on there's just something I've always had in my head and in my heart of why I love this so much and the notion of humanity reaching out across the stars has always meant something to me. Well, as we wrap up here, you'll you'll now hear, I asked Gene that question of why he thinks it's important, and his answer is magnificent. And he'll get to that as soon as we get out of the Apollo missions that we are in the middle of. Save that program. Oh, my. So uh, it's it's a uh, real, it was interesting that when you get people absolutely committed, superb engineers and thinkers, they can put this together, uh, and then you do it as a team, where you basically are willing to stand up and say, you're not doing that right. And one controller will critique the person next door to them because they're totally dependent upon that relationship to provide the answers that I need. So it's a, the, uh, the business and mission control is I love it. And I loved it my entire life because it's absolute. Failure is not an option. To say the least. Uh, so we, we're getting to 1972. John Young and Charlie Duke walk on the moon in the spring of 1972. And then as 1972 ends, so does the Apollo program. And Gene Cernan and Jack Schmidt, a liftoff at night, I'll remember that as long as I live, lit up the sky. And then they uh, head to Taurus Litro and walk on the, the moon's surface for the last Apollo mission. Three EVAs, the buggies all over the place. Uh, I, I think Jack Schmidt went up first so that Gene Cernan could be the last footprints. 
And what, what, there had been an Apollo 18, 19, and 20. The funding fell away for that. So as this moon adventure came to its end in December of 1972, what were your thoughts then, and what do you think of it now? There's uh, several thoughts there. The first thing is is that the uh, flight director, uh, the president, basically always has some message that he sends up when it appears that the majority of the mission is uh, safely completed and the risk is diminishing. And there's a letter that went up from President Nixon that says, this may be the last time. And I thought, holy cow, we are surrendering the work that we've done, the capabilities we developed, the impact on the world, we're giving it up. And it was almost a very bitter to tell my Capcom to read that message up to the crew. Uh, I launched uh, the Apollo 7 mission, Apollo 17 mission from the Earth, and I launched them back off the lunar surface. And we brought in uh, new flight directors for the subsequent programs. For Skylab uh-huh. and uh, and uh, three Skylab missions and, um, and Joe Kerwin flew in the third Skylab and he was the Capcom for Apollo thirteen. He was the one sitting there. He was sitting there with the Capcom headset on with the explosion. Correct. Yes. Yeah. I'm I'm going to go back to uh, briefly Apollo seventeen and uh, Jack Schmidt, please, because he uh, he is writing a new book. I don't know if I ever finish it. But basically, uh, he asked me to write the forward for the book. Mm-hmm. And basically, I always look to find a theme. And the, 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 the way that Jack uh, wrote this sequence is amazing. He is The book is actually the text of all the messages sent during the course of a mission and the crew's response. So it's very lengthy. Wow. And uh, as I read that thing... I was a uh, uh, Lewis and Clark fan. I've read virtually everything that's been written in Lewis and Clark. In fact, I took a uh, expedition with my wife along the Columbia River. Whoa! And basically, I uh, compared the Apollo seventeen and the Apollo program to the voyage of discovery of Lewis and Clark, and then compared the systems that were developed. Uh, for Apollo, uh, the Saturn V, which this great big floating fort that took them up the Mississippi all the way up in the Dakotas. So it was an interesting comparison to uh, try to write the front end of that book. That uh, Jack, I think, is trying to write it for the uh, Artemis group of explorers. Mm-hmm. When I, 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 I'm so taken with the, the there's some delays now. We thought we might have kind of an Apollo 8 redo where we have an orbital flight, maybe at the end of this year and maybe another landing at the end of 25. It looks like all that's going to be delayed uh, for like suits and the spacecraft and this and that. Are you, listen, you've got a couple of years on me, but don't you think we would have been on Mars by now? Yes. Yeah, I go back to the Apollo 17. I think of all the capabilities we had. We had the workforce in place. We had the factories running. We had the capabilities to do all this stuff. And uh, we just surrendered. 
Uh, we surrendered. I was at the, at the time the. Uh, uh, I'm not a fan of the Russians. <laughs> and basically, I was uh, I was uh, quite unhappy when we did not continue the uh, final three missions that we had the hardware for. And every time I go out and take a tour and see a Saturn V. Uh, right next to the uh, entrance to Johnson Space Center and says it doesn't belong here on the ground. It belongs in the Atlantic Ocean and impacting the moon for the S-4B stage. Having flown a mission. I, 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 I mean, it is, it, is, uh, it is sad that we develop capabilities and we tend to uh, dispense with them. Uh, I don't know. I could get very emotional. I got, I got to talk. I coming up to, with some people shortly, and I don't know what I'm going to say about this. Well, let me just take one last thing and let you go, because you've been so generous. Because I've spent my whole career doing it, and people have said, Mark, we got a lot of problems on Earth. People said this when you were landing on the moon, we got a lot of problems on Earth. You know, what? what is it worth? What does it mean to society, not just science, but to our national pride and to, to the human race to continue to explore? When David Scott uh, set foot on the moon. He said, "It is man's nature to explore. This is exploration at its greatest." Did he have it right? What's the argument for 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 going going to Mars and beyond? There's uh, several arguments. There's a social argument because, as a nation, uh, we must believe in ourselves and our capability to do difficult things. As we uh, History progresses, we're going to be faced with choices that involve risk. And risk is the price of progress. And we learn that there are ways to manage and control and live with that risk, and sometimes we fail. But when we fail, at least we failed while doing daring greatly so that our place will never be with those cold and timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat. Uh, I'm a fan of uh, Teddy Roosevelt. And basically, I use basically his words. We all live in an arena. Uh, and that's the speech that he gave after he had retired. It's probably all he did it over at the Sorbonne. And I think those words are inspirations because it talks about the entire speech is titled Citizenship in a Republic and really, really talks about the personal responsibilities that each of us has that when summed up, basically we're capable of fulfilling our destiny as a nation and as Americans. So I think it's really a question we have to become emotionally involved in many of the jobs that we do. And I think space flight, space flight helped us develop that belief in ourselves that we can do the impossible. When you were doing those things, Gene, I was a kid. And to grow to be 66 now and talk to you now 
is an honor beyond compare. And in 2008, I sent you a couple of pictures uh, at the Frontiers of Flight Museum in Dallas. It was the 40th anniversary of, of Apollo 7. Walt it kind of revolved around Walt Cunningham, the tireless Walt Cunningham and his wife, Dot. But I had a chance to meet you, and you were on a panel. I got to MC that panel. We had a couple of special guests named Neil and Buzz and Bill Anders and Al Bean. And that day, I'll never forget that day, and I'll never forget. So I just want to thank you and wish you as many years of great health as God gives you, and I can't, I can't thank you enough. Okay, Mark. Thank you. I have now uh, really understand why you're called the Dean of Texas Talk. Well, <laughs> you are more, you are quite literally more than kind, Gene. Thank you very, very much. <sighs> I have, uh, <clears throat> I've now experienced that. Uh, twice that interview twice once while conducting it and now yesterday and today listening to it i don't know which i enjoyed more um i hope you did that uh somebody on the patriot mobile text line just said that is america he is america he is america when he talks about i i couldn't have put it better i know you know why are we flying around in space i mean just why to dare to do things greatly the assumption of risk progress, perseverance, so that we are not those cold and timid souls who have experienced neither victory nor defeat. It is man's nature to explore. This is exploration at its greatest. And that man, may God give him as many more years of health, as I said, that he sees fit to give. But after Gene Krantz is gone, he will never be forgotten, nor those who have ushered us down the road of this adventure. So it's been a busy week been a lot going on and we've covered it all. And I just wanted to tell you how, how much it meant to me yesterday and today in the nine o'clock hour to be able to offer you this, this moment of pause where we can just say, okay, you know, everything's going, you know, where to hand basket, but people like Gene Krantz still exist and a country capable of doing things like this. We hope still exists and we have done these things and it is history and uh, something not just of the the haze of youthful memory, but of enormous continuing pride for me. And I hope you enjoyed it. Well, I got something you can enjoy for the musical uh, exit ramp next. In 2013, Neil Finn and Eddie Vedder got together for a little thing called Throw Your Arms Around Me. I ran across it and figured, why not share it with you? Here another couple of things to uh, share with you. From producer Ron Decay Moreland, thank you for listening on Twitter at producer Ron Decay, R-O-N-D-A, capital K. And tomorrow, happy birthday, Molly. 18, impossible. Thank you to Mr. Jimmy Kersey for filling in for Matt and doing a magnificent job. It ain't easy uh, wrangling my ridiculousness, so Jimmy, great job. And thank you, Nikki Whaley, for newscasting excellence. God bless our country, our troops, our families. Two things on the way out. Number one, go to 660amtheanswer.com. i got two things I want you to do. Get your tickets for Dr. Gorka, me, and you, Cigar Night on the 27th. You don't want to miss it, 660amtheanswer.com. And then while you're there, to get your weekend off in the best possible way, click that Give Life banner, Food for the Poor. Give us what you can to help kids in Latin America and the Caribbean 
We are bringing hope, bringing life to the neediest among us. Thanks from me and from them. 660amtheanswer.com. Click that Give Life banner. Much appreciate you. Have a fantastic and blessed weekend. See you Monday. Mark Davis, 660 AM The Answer. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.